Greetings in Jesus' name. I'm Bishop Chester Wright, and this is uh, the video teaching series, The First Commandment, Loving God. This is lesson number six, and uh, I'm going to do something in this lesson that I don't ever remember doing in all the video teaching series that I have done. I am essentially going to use uh, scripture that I have already taught on. In fact, it was in lesson two. Uh, and I am teaching it again. I'm teaching it from a different perspective. Um, and it all flows together, but I'm teaching this again because it really kind of flows into the, uh, the next or the rest of the lessons that will be taught uh, in this entire series. Most of these lessons are going to come from uh, the first epistle of John. And so I'm starting with chapter 2, uh, with which 1 John 2, uh, even though I've already taught from these verses, because of the flow I want you to see of John communicating to us in this lesson and in the next few lessons. The last two lessons of this series will be uh, somewhat different than uh, most of the, uh, the, the this particular part of the series on the love of God. Uh, this is part two uh, of this of the subject, the love of God. There's a part three and there's a part four, uh, each one with their own set of lessons. And so uh, I'm I'm starting, and so I'm reading. I'm reading to you again, First uh, John chapter two, verse one. My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And hereby we do know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word in him, verily, is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. Reading from the Amplified, my little children, I write you these things so that I may, so that you may not violate God's law and sin. But if anyone should sin, we have an advocate, one who will intercede for us with the Father. It is Jesus Christ, the all-righteous, upright, just, who conforms to the Father's will in every purpose, thought, and action. And he, that same Jesus himself, is the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours alone, but also for the sins of the whole world. And this is how we may discern daily by experience that we are coming to know him, to perceive, recognize, understand, and become better acquainted with him. If we keep, bear in mind, observe, and practice his teachings, his precepts, his commandments, whoever says, I know him, I perceive, recognize, understand, and am acquainted with him, but fails to keep and obey his commandments, his teachings, is a liar, and the truth of the gospel is not in him. But he who keeps or treasures his word, 
who bears in mind his precepts, who observes his message in its entirety, truly in him has the love of has the love of and for God been perfected or completed and brought or reached maturity, brought to maturity or reached maturity. By this we may perceive, know, recognize, and be sure that we are in him. And then finally, we expanded translation of the New Testament. Uh, verse 1, 1 John 2. My little children, born ones or barons, uh, these things I am writing to you in order that you may not commit an act of sin. If anyone commits an act of sin, one who pleads our cause, we, uh, one who pleads our cause, we constantly have facing the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And he himself is an expiator, uh, expiatory, 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 I guess that's the way you pronounce it, uh, satisfaction for our sins, not only for ours, but also for the whole world. And in this we experientially, in this we know experientially, that we have come to know him experientially and are in that state at present, an experiential relationship with him at present. If, if, this is the condition, if we are continually having a solicitous, watchful care in safeguarding his precepts by obeying them. He who keeps on saying, I have come to know him experientially, and as a present result, am in that state, the experiential state of relationship with God, and his precepts is not habitually safeguarding with solicitous care, is a liar, and in this one, the truth does not exist. But whoever habitually with a solicitous care is keeping his word truly in this one, the love of God has been brought to its completion, its completion with the present result that it is in that state of completion. In this, we have experiential knowledge that in him we are. Now, it's very important, as you will note in the next few lessons, Paul talks about this perfected love a few times. And he has some very important things to say about this perfected, the King James language of perfected love. But the question is, John, in his, as the Holy Ghost uses him and speaks to us and writes, uh, John actually tells us from the beginning what perfected love is. He tells it to us. And we're going to look at that. All of us come to God. Notice how John starts chapter 2. Now, of course, John didn't know he was starting chapter 2 because man added, man is the one that divided the Bible up into chapters and verses. So... Uh, <laughs> I'm saying, look how John started chapter 2, but uh, again, it wasn't chapter 2 to John. It was a part of one letter. And I, neither you or I write a letter to someone and divide it up into chapters and verses. Uh, and so sometimes 
we let these chapter and verses divisions affect how we receive the word of God, forgetting that God, that these were not in the original manuscripts, that God is not the one that divided his word up by chapters and verses, and that they were only added for sake of ease of reference. But of course we know as we read the Bible that uh, uh, the problem is that uh, uh, <laughs> so many times a single sentence, especially Paul's sentences as translated by the King James translators, is two, three, four, five, six or more verses long, one sentence. And in normal life, we would not ever take one part of a sentence and and just focus on that sentence without the context of the whole sentence. But in the Bible, we do that all the time because we do not consciously remind ourselves that the chapter and verses divisions are not from God. I don't have a problem with them. I deeply appreciate them. They make them very easy to uh, remember, to memorize, to study, to reference back to something that you saw or you read or you studied or something God is saying to you. But again, <clears throat> uh, when Paul, when, when, in, in the, in chapter two, uh, our chapter two, that, it, that the beginning of the discussion here is that John, uh, John says, my little children, my little children, uh, these things write I unto you. So all of us start out as little children, and we're supposed to grow. So perfected love is not perfect from our perspective. It's not perfect. It is. Uh, it's not the, it, it, the the Greek word that doesn't mean flawless, totally pristine absolutely flawless. It is the difference between being immature and becoming mature. And so perfected love, according to the King James language, is actually love that has grown, developed, and has become mature in us, where we are mature in that love, and 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 the another definition of the word uh, completed means to be brought to, uh, uh, or, or perfected means to be brought to completion. And it's not that <coughs> it's not that God's love is every finished, but there is a state where the love of God it matures in us to a place where. It is now a fully, it is now fully functioning as God intended his love to function in us. And the third definition of that word gives us this whole idea of how we know that our love has become complete. And that is the fruit that the love of God produces through us. Not only the fruit of character, the fruit of faithfulness, and the fruit of, of, of surrender to God, giving our whole self to God, the fruit of keeping His word, obeying His word, but also the fruit of seeing the lost saved 
through our prayers and involvement in the kingdom of God. So all of that is very important here. And this is what John is trying to say to us. And I'm not going to go back through the the word for word or the uh, discussion that I did in John chapter 2, but the point here in this lesson is to make the point that uh, John starts out his real discussion of love right here. And he gives us God's definition of whether or not we are loving him in return. And again, this this uh, part of the series, the series, the, num- the, the four series that I'm doing on the love of God, this is part number two. The focus of this, this part, all uh, uh, 12 lessons or so, uh, if, if it ends up being just 12 by the time I'm finished with this part, the focus is the first commandment, and the first commandment is not only to know God, know who He is, but also to give ourselves to Him wholeheartedly. How do we know when we are giving ourselves to God wholeheartedly? When His Word takes precedence and priority in our lives, when His Word does, and we are keeping His Word. Now, uh, I, I'm going to open my uh, my my Bible software and leave my uh, <laughs> my uh, uh, notes there for a minute because I want to I want to write straight from the Scripture. I, I want to I, I got my King James with Strong's open and I'm touching the word sin and I'm reading to you the definition of the word sin. Straight from both Strong's and Thayer's. Strong says that the word uh, sin is, uh, it is the, uh, it is the negative prefix, prefix on this root word. The root word of the word sin is, uh, to get as a section or allotment, to get your division or your share, to get your part. And that, this Greek word that is the root word for the word sin is part, is translated 24 times part, portion, uh, etc. Uh, Thayer says the word, this root word means a part, a part due or assigned to one, our lot or destiny, one of the constituent parts of a whole. Uh, so each of us is created with a part of God's plan with our name on it. He has a place for you that's your place only in his kingdom plan and purpose. He has a place for me that is my place only in his plan and purpose. Just like that little finger has its place. I don't have two little fingers. I have one right little finger and one left little finger. They're not the same. They're the mirror images of each other, but they're not the same. I don't have two hands. I have one right hand. I have one left hand. These are constituent parts of the whole. That hand is not me. It is a part of me. And thank God for both of them. And that they are essentially there and functioning. Thank God for that. Some people are missing parts of their bodies, either through birth or some some accident in their lives. Uh, and, And it's proven that we can live and exist and function to some degree 
with some parts of our bodies missing. But there are some parts of our body that are so essential that if they are missing, we cannot live. I can live without a hand. I can't live without a heart. I can't. I can live in the bed as a quadriplegic and not being able to move at all. But if my mind doesn't work, I can't live. If my lungs don't work, I can't live. If my stomach and intestines don't work, I can't live. Obviously, I've already said heart. So this is, this is the root word for sin. Sin is this root word, portion or share or part, with a negative prefix on the front of it. And so therefore, Strong says the word properly means to miss the mark and so not share in the prize. Figuratively, it's to err, Strong says, especially morally to sin. And I'm, I'm going to say that, uh, that sin is not equivalent to morality. Because right here, this very definition proves that what man considers moral and immoral is not synonymous with sin and not sin. Because man now considers it moral to end the life of a child that is not convenient for you to birth. God calls that sin. Doesn't matter what the law of the land says, the word of God calls it Sin calls it shedding the life of an innocent one. We may say it's not a baby, but God alone brought egg and sperm together and brought that, that child into existence in that womb. God alone is the one that forms the body and the, and the limbs and all of that. In the body. God does that. Not nature. nature. Nature is only the word we use to describe all of this natural stuff and the way it happens. But God is the one that, that designed it. God is the one that orchestrates it. God's the one that controls it. God is the one who causes it to happen. And so man has learned how to do artificial insemination. But trust me, having pastored some people that have gone through that process, it is, it, they don't, they can't guarantee it works. And if God allows egg and sperm to come together, he created that life. He created that life. He alone is life, and he is the, alone is the giver of life. So man says, our culture says it's moral to take the life of that innocent baby in the womb. The Word of God says it's not. That's only one small example of the difference between what God says is sin and not sin and what man says is immoral. There, man is saying it's wrong to have church. But there are men of God because of the pandemic. There are men of God that God has spoken to them to have church, to gather for services. Man says that's immoral. God said do it. Now, I believe that a man... Every one of us individually should only go against the law when God specifically tells us to go against the law. The rest of the time, according to Romans 13, we should obey the law. And I, so I don't have church because somebody else is having church. If, if the restrictions are, are there by lawful, uh, those that are legally elected and they're exercising their authority in that office, then we need to do that. 
But right now, man is calling, uh, some that are having church are calling him immoral. Now, if God told them to do it, he, he'll defend them. If they're doing it out of their own ego or their fear or their tradition, they're on their own. Okay? So, sin is missing the mark. We, we need a revelation of sin. We need a revelation of what sin is. Uh, there are other things that we call sin. They're all, they're all wrong. Uh, disobedience, rebellion, transgression, uh, 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 whatever. There are all other words that God uses. But when the word sin is used, the Greek word, and I can't p- pronounce it, uh, hamartano is the way my English brain would pronounce those English equivalent letters of the Greek word. Uh, it, it is, it is talking about God's portion, God's share, God's place for us, and us missing doing things that might jeopardize that, uh, us having that place. That is what sin is. Sin is not a bunch of rules and regulations. Sin is doing that which lets me receive my portion of share. Or not sinning is doing those things that would let me have my portion or share. Sin is doing those things that would prevent me from having or participating in my place in God. That He in His will is ordained for me and you for you. Then finally, uh, Thayer's Greek lexicon defines the sin as to be without a share in, to miss the mark, to err, be mistaken, to miss or wander from the truth of uprightness and honor, to do or go wrong, to wander from the law of God, violate God's law, sin. So I am saying to you, my friend, that uh, the Holy Ghost through the Apostle John is telling us that, okay, even, even in my place of of completed love, there may be things I do that uh, would cause me to miss the mark. But the last part of the previous chapter of First John, the Lord said, "If we say we have no sin, we're a liar, and the truth is not not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness." Uh, and so, John starts out, My little children, these things are right unto you, that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. So what is sin and what is not sin? Not sinning is doing the will of the Father, which is obeying the Word of God. So the Word of God is the will of God, and then God's Spirit takes the Word of God and applies the Word of God in our lives personally, each of us personally, for as for what His will is for us to do each day. I, I read something the other day uh, online where uh, there was a an apostolic preacher who took the position that there is not a will of God for us every day. It, the will of God is only in general terms and principles. I will not say who, what, who's, what his name was. I'm not referring to him. I'm, I'm referring to an attitude and spirit here. That is a lie from the pits of hell. 
He may be sincere in his belief, but he hadn't studied the word of God to find out what the word of God says on that subject. God not only has a will for me every day, he has a will for me every moment of every day. And if I am walking with God, there's nothing more fundamental about my day than one single step. And it takes a multiple set of steps for me to walk from point A to point B. And if if uh, uh, if I'm walking with God and each step I take is in God, and the scripture says the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord, or the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, that God is that involved with every step I take, and I can take even at almost 75 or in my 75th year, I can take a step in uh, less than a second. In fact, uh, if I'm really hustling in an airport, I can take two or three, sometimes four steps, fast walking it every second. And so if God is so involved with me that every step has a place in him, I want to be where he wants me to be every moment of the day. But here's the problem. Because we separate the, the, the secular part of our life, what we call the secular part of our life, from the spiritual part of our life, we don't think that laying down to go to sleep is spiritual. The book says he gives his beloved sleep. Well, if he gives, if the day of my birth is appointed by him and the day of my death is appointed by him, don't you think the hour I go to sleep and the hour I get up should be appointed by him? And whether or not he chooses to give me rest all through the night or he's talking to me in dreams and visions, things he's needing to communicate with me. Now, I probably, and we all probably dream all night long, but uh, because our brains don't tr- totally stop ever. But those dreams, most of those dreams, y- you've forgotten them before you even wake up. You don't even remember what they were. But then there are times where I have dreamed dreams uh, that uh, I knew was the adversary threatening because I couldn't remember all the details, but I'd remember a point and I remember the fear that would come with that point. But then when I receive a, a dream from God, I've got dreams that I can give you moment by moment every detail of them because the Holy Ghost was experiencing that. So wouldn't there, are we going to say God doesn't have a place? I, I enjoy playing golf. I played God, golf in the past when it wasn't the will of God. But my absolute commitment of life to the Lord is I don't want to play except when he wants me to play. And if I'm out there playing, I love to pray on a golf course. It's golf course some of the most beautiful places on earth. Most of them are. I, I love to play, pray on the golf course. And uh, I can be fellowship with somebody else, but I'm not with them all the time. And I promise you, when I'm on a golf course like I am most of the day, consciously and subconsciously, I'm talking to the Lord. And so it's not about playing golf. It's like some I, I'm not a hunter. I'm not a fisherman. God bless those of you that are. But if you're sitting in a deer stand waiting for the deer to come by and your mind is wandering all over the place, how come you're not praying? You're alone. you got an opportunity to talk to God. Why aren't you doing that? And sitting in the boat waiting for that 
that fish to bite. How come you're not praying there? What an opportunity. The whole concept that tradition wants to bind prayer to a specific prayer time every day where I'm on my knees or in some physical position of prayer or I'm using my prayer voice, that is ludicrous and it's not biblical. Prayer is communication with God His communication with us. And He wants it to be 24-7. Whether it's being done consciously or subconsciously, He wants that to happen all the time. So, perfected or mature or completed love, fruitful love, is when knowing God, and I can't know God if I don't know His Word, I don't know God one bit more than I know the Word of God. I don't know God one bit more than I know the Word of God. And I could talk to God all day, but if I don't ever involve my, immerse myself in the Word of God, and I'm not talking about reading a chapter every day. This hour a day of prayer stuff and read a chapter every day, got, got, that, got that done, now I can go live my life. There is no biblical basis for such a thing as that at all. I've been bought with a price. You've been bought with a price. We are not our own. We belong to Him. Well, the Lord belongs to me. Well, yeah, I guess. But we belong to Him. We are His. 100%. And the greatest commandment is that we should give ourselves holy. W-H-O-L-L-Y to Him. That's the Greek word for all of the heart, all of the soul, all of the mind, all of the strength. The most frequent use word is pause for all, and it does mean all. But there, the word used there in the Greek, and I forget which one it is in the greatest commandment, is the step above pause. It is the whole of. Absolutely nothing left out. Now, I can't do that myself. And only the love of God in me, working in and through me by the Spirit of God, is able to empower me to keep the Word of God, to obey the Word of God. That's called grace. That is part four of the series uh, of the series on the love of God. It, the love of God in me, by the agency of the Spirit of God, working in me to cause me to want to do what God would have me to do, Belima, wish, want, or desire, it is a resolve, <coughs> causing me to resolve to do what God wants me to do, and then empowering me to do it, that's grace. And that's what God wants to do, and it's His will. And grace, working in me, is the perfected, the mature, the completed work of God. When I'm trying to share my life with God, where He helps me with this part, but I got this, Lord, I got it. That's not mature love. It's not, it's not perfected love. And those folks are absolutely open to whatever fear or torment or doubt or worry that would come their way when their part doesn't go like it's supposed to. Amen. And so, as we work through these next few lessons from 1 John uh, the, the epistle of First John. And we listen to and see how 
the Lord talks to us about His love, and we see the phrase perfected love. You will now know what God defines as perfected love. 1 John chapter 2, verse 5. But whoso keepeth his word, in him, verily, is the love of God perfected, brought to maturity, brought to completion, brought to fruitfulness. Hereby we know, when we are, when our love is perfected, now we have the absolute experiential certainty that we are in him. I've made this statement in closing many, many times over the years. <coughs> I received the Holy Ghost at age 12. But there were, so the Lord has had me since uh, I was 12. But it was many years after that before, uh, excuse me, I had God at age, beginning at age 12. But it was many years after that before he had me. I had him a whole lot longer and have had him a whole lot longer than he's had me completely. A whole lot shorter than he's had me. But his word working in me to bring me from spiritual infancy all the way through spiritual maturity is called the perfecting of the love of God. In us, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that you would receive this revelation from the Holy Ghost about what it means to love God, what He defines love of God from Him to us and us to Him as being. In the name of Jesus, God bless you.